As people continue to adjust to the working world post-pandemic, there's a new phrase that's been popping up in pop culture. Today, we're talking about quiet quitting. I'm Britt, he's Ben, and this is The Furious Curious. Right, sir. Good to have you back. Yeah, thanks for good to be thanks back. For thanks for hopping on. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. So we were talking about this. This kind of came about quickly, right? So hyperlinking. Actually, I feel like the podcast over the past two years has kind of circled this idea. You know, we did a burnout episode. We did a, that's episode fifty-one. Hyperlinking to that. Uh, also, episode fifty-six, the Great Resignation. So we've been circling this drain, I guess for a bit, but this is different, right? Like this isn't those things. Quiet quitting is all about doing exactly what the job requires. No more, no less. So yeah, I could see how it's related to those other topics for sure. Um, and what's interesting about this is that when you think about quiet quitting or you read about it, or you hear people talk about it, it, it didn't even really occur to me that there were you know, huge numbers of people who were, who were, um, I guess going so far above and beyond every day. Right. Yeah. Right. That's true. It's almost par for the course is like, it's that old adage of the go getter kind of thing. Yeah. I think, I think some people, there's a personality type that, that operates that way. People Mm -hmm. do generally tend to get, you know, their, their work becomes part of their identity. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a lot of people too, who especially like in the service industries, for example, people who are just like, they, they're just working for the paycheck and it's not necessarily such an important part of their life or ID. Yeah, totally. Working nine to five. So let's just level set. I'm going to just hit the Wikipedia real quick. Quiet quitting is an application of work to rule, which employees work within the defined work hours and engage in work-related activities solely within those hours. Despite the name, the philosophy the philosophy of quiet quitting is not connected to quitting a job outright, or uh, or but rather doing precisely what the job requires. Proponents of quiet quitting um, also refer to this as quote. I would say, quote, acting your wage. So there's no verifiable uh, sources um, who, or as as to who coined this phrase. We'll get into how we feel like maybe the sentiment of it has been around for a while, but uh, it has been, it, it was really popularized and kind of skyrocketed as a term into the public lexicon, uh, mostly through the social uh, video platform, TikTok, the TikTok. So uh, are you on TikTok, Ben? I'm not. I think you are. I think I, I, I think I saw you. Yeah, I think you showed up in my feed. You were doing "Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him," the, the, the um, dance routine of that. Yeah, I think so. You know what? Yep, I like completely blocked that out. That was me. Guilty. Yeah, that was you. Yeah, that was you. Um, so you were getting into the numbers. So we'll we'll talk we'll talk numbers today. We'll talk uh, quiet quitting in pop culture. There was actually that was interesting. We'll talk reasons why. We'll talk some alternative views and caveats about this. Um, I don't think the whole thing is one-sided or it's necessarily conclusive. If we get to it, we'll do some action. We'll talk about some actionables and then, you know, a parting thought or not, or a hot take if we have time. So 
numbers. So I, or we pulled these from the, the Gallup in general, Qualtrics was another one, but quiet quitters, quote, quiet quitters make up at least 50%, five zero of the workforce, probably more according to Gallup. That seems a lot. Like that's a terrifying number if you're an employee employer. Well, yeah, but I mean, is it really terrifying? All it really means is that yeah. 50%, half of the people, one and two, do the job that they were, they're hired Supposed and paid to do. to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting that like doing the minimum puts you in, in the, in the potentially quitting realm. It's a, it's like a weird distorted, like, wouldn't that be like doing under like what you're not like doing less than you're expected of. I could see how that's kind of quote quitting, but just doing the bare minimum. I guess it's grounds for getting you fired. That's interesting. And I think what we'll get into on the backside of this is that part of this is a lack of communication and clear communicating clear expectations of what is indeed expected of you uh, as an employee from an employer. So a lot of this is, um, as we deduce this down, is communication. What am I supposed to do? What is expected of me, right? It's all about expectations. Ben, you and I are married. It's all about expectations, right? Expectations and compromise. And compromise. Yeah. So last year, more than 47 million people in the United States voluntarily quit their jobs. That was according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. That's an unprecedented exit uh, en masse that has become known as, as we said before, the great resignation. So employee engagement took another step backwards uh, during the quarter, uh, the second quarter of uh, 2022. And the proportion of engaged workers remained at 32%, but the proportion of actively disengaged increased by 18%. That's hard to kind of suss out. But so the ratio of that, of the engagement to disengagement is now at 1.8 to one, the lowest in 10 years. I would think it would be longer than that, but they, they say, according to the Gallup, 10 years. Hmm. Um, I'll just burn through the rest of these numbers real quick. Workplace engagement is the lowest among remote Gen Z and younger millennial workers. That's Gen Z uh, younger millennials, I would say is like, you know, 1990, let's see, 1990 to 1996 is the younger millennials. Um, and then people born after that Gen Z, this poll found, and then the drop in engagement began in the second half of 2021 and was a concurrent of the, uh, with the rise of job resignations. So managers actually of all among others experienced the greatest drop in, um, you kind of doing what they were supposed to do or not rather. So that's some numbers. Um, we could, we could, we could melt everybody's brain with more numbers, I'm sure, but let's move on. So quiet quitting, even though it's a new term, Ben, what we've maybe figured out through pop culture is that actually this is a, this is not a new phenomenon, right? Yeah. And I feel also we should probably mention just as you yeah. were running through the numbers sure. that, um, you know, there's a, there's a difference between just to be very clear for the, for the listeners yeah. between you have 47 million people voluntarily quit their jobs last year, as you mentioned. That's, yeah. That's, um, that's something completely different from what we're talking about. Quiet quitting where you, right. you keep your job, you stay employed. You're just doing, I, I guess, what would be considered the bare minimum versus actually leaving your job. So I just wanted to make that distinction because um, as we were talking about those numbers before, it was kind of like, we, we kind of hit on both of those um, as we were going through. 
the way I almost see this in the tapestry of the labor, the laborscape, if that's a word, is that there are people who are, you know, there's, there's high levels of burnout. And then that sometimes that burnout leads to quiet quitting, doing the bare minimum. And then some people uh, at some point just decide it's not worth it and they just quit altogether. So I, I see there's different degrees in which people are enduring this, but it sounds like if you put all that together, if you aggregate all that, you know, a lot of people are struggling with, you know, the current work situation, whatever that is, whether that's interpersonal, uh, managerial or circumstantial, like working from home or not working from home. And, you know, things will shake out over time. We're still recovering, I think, from a, a huge disruption in, in, in every part of our daily life with the pandemic. Uh, but yeah, I see that. I see that kind of as different pieces of, of the pie, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, there, and it's, it's interesting because there's so many directions or, or, or pathways mm-hmm. that this conversation could go down because it's connected to so many other things. You have, you know, um, people, like you were saying, the, the millennials that were relatively new to the workforce when the pandemic kind of changed the the paradigm mm-hmm. shift happened and those are people who maybe didn't have a lot of um like per, like working in person experience before right. they found themselves working remotely right so that's one kind of examination and the role of course that social media and the expectations that social media set for that generation mm-hmm. And these, you know, younger kids are coming up and grew up on social media and looking at people on social media and then getting that rude awakening when they make their way to the real world. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> and it's a different, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. And, and I was, yeah, go, go ahead with your point. Well, I was going to say it's it, it, an analogous example without maybe the social media piece as as prevalent is you know the 2008 i think a lot of millennials their employment prospects were shaped by ta-da graduated oh yeah the labor market just bottomed out you know kind of thing yeah and and what happens psychologically is that programmed an entire generation of people right to 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 realize that okay the the company like a company doesn't really care about you. They, as soon as you like, basically we're, we're all, um, expendable. As soon as your position be, be, is no longer, uh, an advantage to the bottom line, you're gone. Yeah. And another thing tell me if you've noticed this, I've noticed this. It seems like, like in general, as I'm like out moving around in the world and having experiences and paying for services and eating in restaurants and just everything, everything feels like, well, everything's more expensive, right? And it seems like the quality of everything has come down. And I mention that because I, I believe there's a relationship. The, the, the people providing these services, it just feels like there's a lot less care in general. And maybe that's just me getting older and, and taking on like the grumpy old man persona, but it just seems like, I don't know. It seems like everything is somehow worse than it used to be. Yeah. I think there's, you know, I'm not an economist, but one theory behind that is when you have a, um, a 
uh, a shortage in labor and a you know in a pretty hot labor market uh when you get down to certain er you know when you get to certain areas of industries you know people are really doing everything they can to just you know fill those roles and in a in a less competitive job market you know you're just going to get more uh variation in quality of of labor to put it in pure economic terms yeah. than what you would in a tighter labor market if that makes sense yeah, yeah. I, and that's probably the macro view i mean just to give some concrete examples it seems like almost every time my wife and i order food and pick it up the order is somehow wrong or they forget something or something isn't made properly I got my oil changed uh, a couple weeks ago and they brought the car around after. And I always, I always like open the hood after I get my oil changed just to make sure that they, you know, put the oil cap back and just to make sure everything mm -hmm. looks like it's right. Yeah. It's and cool. I, I, I open the hood and the entire engine cover is, is just missing. You know, that plastic piece that like covers up all the, mm -hmm. all the stuff under there. And I, I was just, I wasn't even surprised. You know, like I, I open the hood and the thing is just gone. And what if I just gotten in my car and driven off? I mean, I don't know about you. I'd go for months at a time without opening the hood of my car. I mean, dude, who, by that time, that piece is like long gone, lost, missing. I don't know. It just seems like there's two examples, but it just seems like I, I see that in almost every facet of, uh, of daily life now. Yeah, there's a myriad of, of reasons I could conject into that. I think some of them maybe are political and I don't want to say them, but like, I, I totally see that. And there's definitely a noticeable change in the overall quality of products and, and, and services in, in the United States in general. And I think there's probably a complicated or simplified reasons for, for that to, to be the case compared to, you know, if you look at the trajectory, even across the past, you know, 10 years or so, I can even see it um, in the past few years. So I totally see that. And I don't think it's just where you are or where I am. I definitely see that. I don't know. There's probably some, there's economic issues probably there. And then there's probably some cultural issues there that I can't really put my finger on. I don't know if it's a generational thing. Or, or what, or back to what I was saying about just the, you know, the, the, the labor market being as, as such, it's hard to know. And I, I bring that up just to bring it kind of back to the topic of the episode here is to say that maybe perhaps that substandard quality that seems to be permeating everything is, you know, one tentacle of this quiet quitting. And it's just how it's mm -hmm. manifesting itself to, to average citizens like us. Yeah. And what I mean by that, I don't necessarily mean individuals. I mean, just in terms of economic development, whether that's training or, or whatever that is, that's, that's not, that's not a, people can't help where they're born. But what I was saying is more, more or less about economic development. You know, there's variations in economic development across. And, gotcha. and, and some could argue that our, our economic development in terms of just opportunity, wealth distribution is going the opposite direction it's going to you know it totally, third world countries third world countries are every, most people are poor and and a few people are rich and that's kind of like where you know for, for all for all the progress that we claim to have we're progressing that way that's actually. totally fair that is totally fair so, 
Uh, that's the way, I, you know, and that's those, that's macroeconomic terms, not personal terms or, or people terms, but yeah. So quiet quitting in culture and pop culture, this is, even though, like I said, a new term or a newer term, it's not necessarily the sentiment or the feeling or the method or the tactic or the behavior is not necessarily new. So, you know, for example, call classic office space. Uh, Peter Gibbons is essentially quiet quitting the entire time. And, you know, this, this depicts a character, a character engaging in quiet quitting. And in, so in this film, like Ron Livingston's character, that's Peter Gibbons, abandons this concept of working entirely and just kind of like does the bare minimum. I think he even says the bare minimum uh, in the, when they say that in the review. Um, yet, well, we won't spoil the cult classic, but so there's Peter Gibbons. You had a great one here. Can you tell me about the next one? Yeah, well, I think Stanley Hudson uh, yeah. on the sh- on the show The Office is even a better example in some ways because yeah. t- for me, in my mind, you know, I look at the character of Stanley, who is someone who very openly, unabashedly does the bare minimum and nothing more. And, you know, there's many, many lines throughout the show of him, like saying, for example, like, okay, I'm not doing any more work until I get the full bonus check amount that I was promised, you know, where to to contrast with Peter Gibbons in Office Space, well, that's someone who, that he went beyond quiet quitting because, you know, he wasn't just showing up in his tie and sitting at his computer and just doing the work for eight hours. I mean, he was on a completely different, you know, disassembling his cubicle and gutting fish on his desk and playing, <laughs> playing Tetris on his computer. I mean, he, that, that was like, I think he, he passed by the quiet quitting and kept on going for, for quite a while. <laughs> What's the next level? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> um, the next one is uh, Wally is a character in the Dilbert comic strip. One of my dad's favorite. He still sends me clips of all that. Um, clips of those all the time, but he's been quiet quitting for most of the duration of the comic strip, avoiding work basically at every opportunity. And then we've got maybe a lesser known one. Um, did you ever watch Parks and Rec, Ben? I watched the first few seasons of it. Okay. Yeah. So April Ludgate, you remember her? She's just the very kind of unenthusiastic yeah, kind very of straight. humor. Yeah. So in the early seasons of, of Parks and Rec, she spends most of her appearances what seems to be quiet quitting her resistance to helping the department achieve any goals it's earned her this praise by the supervisor which is kind of a the grand irony the 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 dedicated libertarian of course ron swanson uh who wants uh government to do as little as possible evidently so she was she was that she's a quiet quitter and then there was this other one and this is real so last year there was a movement in china that arose called, uh, and I hope I'm saying this right, uh, Tang Ping, uh, loosely translated into English as, quote, lying flat. Uh, and it shares many common characteristics of quiet quitting and burnout, uh, for example. So those are kind of the examples of pop culture. So they reach all the way back to, uh, I don't know how long Dilbert's been quite, you know, Wally's been quiet quitting in Dilbert, but that this is a couple, a couple decades, of course. So mm-hmm. anyway, Five reasons why. Reasons why. Yes. So the first one we have here 
is a power shift. So, you know, and this was more or less my observation. I didn't necessarily pull this from anywhere, although I think Forbes kind of supports what I was saying is employers thought they had an upper hand during the pandemic. I noticed this from with a lot of uh, my colleagues, maybe with you too, Ben, or, or colleagues of yours as well. You know, they fired a bunch of people uh, and then they ratchet up, you know, the demands and productivity of the others, you know, as they got leaner and meaner, so to speak. Uh, so one could say perhaps, you know, they were taking advantage of, you know, now people had less commute time and the blurred boundaries of, of this work from home, you know, this, this idea of now that there's those boundaries are blurred that you have to be on all the time. Now this kind of came to roost later as we outlined in burnout and the great resignation and also here quiet quitting. So, you know, with unemployment down now, uh, more employees may be thinking, geez, if they, if they fire me, it's not a problem. I can just get something else. Um, so that power shift in terms of the supply demand and labor in the labor economy uh, has changed. Plus, it's also hard harder to fire people, I think, these days as well. Um, hmm. You have to build a pretty clear case, at least here in California. So the next is uh, uh, reason number two. Where's the stairs is what I said. No perceived opportunity for upward promotions or for upward mobility, whatever, however you want to define that. The overall decline has especially related to this, this clarity of expectations, opportunities, and the ability to learn and grow and to feel cared about, whether that's mentorship or, or other things, and the connection to the organization's mission and purpose. So there's, me, there's a lack of meaning in the work as well. Ah. And that, that signals a growing disconnect between employees and their employers. Uh, that's also supported by Gallup, uh, the Gallup poll. So hmm. um, people just not feeling like, hey, I do a little bit more. I do a little bit less. I do a lot more. doesn't matter. I'm not going to get a pay bump. I'm not going to get a promotion. Not saying that's true, but that's the sentiment for a lot of people. Sure. Yeah. That salaried employees, their paycheck is the same, whether they work 50 hours a week or, or, or 40 hours a week. As Peter Gibbon says, I don't see another dime. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Brings it back to everything comes back to office space. Yep. The next well, you're doing is, such a nice job distilling these. So oh, I'm just, thanks man. Yeah. Appreciate that. Uh, the next is, uh, I might put this in quotes, quote, evil incorporated end quote. So there seems to be a societal shift in how people view employers now partially to blame for that you know might be placed on society's uh what this is what forbes this is what forbes says partial blame might be also placed on society's mind molders or the colleges and the media which tend to portray employers especially in the private sector as evil so some employees may feel that quiet quitting is the way to stick it to the man so that was according to Forbes. I don't know how true that is. I can see that point. You know, a lot of people vilify their employers and are kind of fed up with them. There was all actually there was actually a subreddit about this. It was called Anti Work Subreddit, <laughs> and it was this whole thing is just. And I read through it. It's just a gripe. I don't say gripe. That doesn't sound right. You know, idlers were complaining that they you know they were frustrated by their jobs and how bad they were and their overbearing bosses and you know and, and they, people often people often post in there um if i'm if i'm correct yeah people often post in there like examples of like how dysfunctional the work environment can be yeah oh totally so pictures pictures of pictures of signs for example that people put up around the office or i can't really think of an example off the top of my head but i i know it i know it's not just a rant it's a it's, it's not a, a rant 
yeah, it's a it's a subreddit that is uh, daily populated anew with um, examples of of uh, you know things that would make people not want to not want to go to work every day. Yeah. So like what it says here is like quote unemployment for all end quote is the frustrated rallying cry of the uh, r slash anti work on subreddit you know social media platform the ethos of the 22.1 million members uh, referred to as idlers is summed up in their mission statement which is this a subreddit for those who want to end work are curious about ending work or want to get the most out of a work free life they want more information on anti work ideas and want personal help with their own jobs and work related struggles. I don't know what a work free life looks like. Um, maybe I will when I'm dead, but, uh, yeah. So interestingly enough, it's, it's a mission. It seems to be, um, you know, it reflects their, obviously their anger and resentment. You know, they contend that companies take advantage of them, push for longer hours, deceive them longer hours than they were initially told, pay them inadequately and, and, and potentially also demean them. And what you were saying, Ben, is some people actually just post real examples of this. Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. actually pulled it up while you were talking. There's a couple. Yeah. Here's a, here's a, <clears throat> here's a picture of a sign taped to the wall of a bathroom in an office. It said, this is not a bedroom, three minutes per user, no cell phone allowed. Whoa. That's not even. Yeah. That's not so. Even, well, I don't know. The law. I'm not an HR. I don't know. Here's, a, here's another one. This post is how the company thanks the 10 remaining employees that have been doing the work of 20 people for the last two months. And there's a picture of two Little Caesars pizzas on a table it, in, a, in a break room. <laughs> the pizza is always the cheap gift and people are wising up. We'll get to we'll get to the things actually why I think there's actually some meaningful opportunities here for employers that I that I found pulled from actually from Gallup and from others that I think are actually really meaningful. But we'll go uh we'll go to um cuz you know, we're not just sitting here digging on on employers, you know, as a category. So, reason number 4. The dream is over. Hey now, hey now, don't dream it's over. That's a good song. I, I, I love when you. I love when you sing. I love when you sprinkle the the, the uh, acapella into the episode. <laughs> uh, what's that band called? Something Crowded House. Yeah. Oh, that's a that's a that's a reach from the past. Impressed that um, you came up with that. Yeah, and it's not even in my notes. Just off the hip, man. So yet another possible explanation for the the trend in quiet quitting that uh, people may feel. This idea of an American dream, uh, this picket fenced house, this nice car, raising two kids in a middle class lifestyle, is actually not no longer attainable. So, despite increase in wages, higher inflation, plus taxes, uh, have made you know have made these things you know making ever more people scrambling just to pay rent. You know, such people may be thinking, okay, so if I quiet quit. And, and so my boss not so quietly cans me this in this job market, like we were saying, I can get another job. Not sure if that's true, but climbing the ladder so I can afford a house, a car, et cetera, all the things I said, you know, that's just not going to happen. So I'll just kick back and glide as long as I can. Oh, that's a tragic existence, but that's what this says here. So, uh, any thought on the dream is over, Ben? Well, I think there's real validity to that idea. I certainly yeah. understand how people could feel frustrated given just the generally the cost of living now. I mean, it's, it's totally, it is freaking tough out here. 
you know, like mm-hmm. I, I, I think, um, I, I think many, many people our age and younger wouldn't be doing as well as they are if not for, you know, their parents helping them out. And, you know, people have a lot of, uh, support from the older generation in a lot of cases, because it's just, it's really, really difficult to come out of school with, you know, 40 or $50,000 of debt and get, you know, get a job making, you know, an entry level salary and, and, yeah. and, and live your life. It's just really, really tricky. So some people just feel like, well, that's, you know, what, it, whatever you want to call them, life goals, maybe aren't going to be obtained or attained. So maybe I'm just going to at least enjoy, sit back for a sec or more. Well, it's like what you were saying yeah. before. If you, if you, if you can't get ahead and if you, if getting ahead isn't even a possibility, then why, why would you break your back at work? Right. So, okay. So the next one, we're calling it uh, number f- number five, a taste of balance. So people now over the past few years have had this opportunity to experience what it's like to maybe have more family time, you know, with this newfound time for some, newfound time, not having to commute, et cetera, you know, got to hang, got to pick up your kids from school, um, got to experience a little bit of, you know, maybe a you know, for some, not for all, like we were saying, for some, I went the other direction. It was, it was less work-life balance, but for some, it was a little bit more work-life balance. Uh, they got to use that time that they otherwise would have used for commuting or sitting in meetings or whatever. For some, maybe their workflow working from home got more efficient. That opened up some more time and they've gotten this taste of a work-life balance. So some people have like, once they've gone once you've kind of tasted that balance, it's hard to get people to start logging more and more hours. So, yeah. Sure, sure. And, and you know, these, these big companies have done the studies and they know they've asked, uh, they've asked their workforces like, hey, do you even want to return to the office, come back to the office? And right. the overwhelming majority of people say, no. I mean, most right. people were spending 30 to 60 minutes each way commuting. You know, right. that's a, that's an average and that's, that's an, uh, an hour to two hours of your time every day that you got back by not having to commute, um, right. into the office. Of course, it's a double-edged sword because on one hand you have, you know, you have that time back that you can either spend, like you said, with your family or doing some, some thing that you find personally fulfilling or, you know, getting a jump on your work for the day. The other side of it is that working from home has really blurred the lines between work life and home life. Um, yeah, think you know the, the, that that commute that was thirty minutes long was also a thirty minute buffer that you had to kind of transition from right from from space to space. And now a lot of people just walk down the hallway. Right. Yeah, that's what we were saying before. Is that you know these lines that were blurred and early on sometimes that was exploited to do more work or to have more work be required of you. So, yeah, so that is, those are the five reasons why Uh, I'll just recoup them. Power shift, the power dynamic has shifted a little bit from employers to employees. Where's the stairs, we say, as number two, people are really trying to figure out 
how do I get promoted at work? Is the extra effort I put in, is that even worth it? If not, then what am I doing here? Or why am I putting in that extra effort? Uh, reason number three, uh, we're calling quote evil incorporated. A lot of people view uh, employers these days unfavorably for a variety of uh, reasons. Uh, number four, uh, the dream is over. Uh, some people have just frankly given up on you know the portrait of the American dream. And reason number five, a taste of balance. Uh, some people got a little bit of a work-life balance through the pandemic and they don't want to give it up. They like it. Uh, it feels good. It feels right. It's helpful. It restores mental health at, you know, um, more time with family. Why, why would you want to give that up? And those are the five reasons why we think quiet quitting is happening right now. So I'm going to move on. There are alternative views about this, and uh, and I want to have some caveats because I don't think it's simply maybe up to this point what we what we think it is. So the term quiet quitting has different shades of meaning depending on the source. Uh, so while an individual contributors, this is from Gallup also as well, uh, while individual contributors might think in terms of otherwise, quote, engaged workers setting reasonable boundaries, uh, their employees might see that a different way. They may see that instead as, quote, slackers who are willing, will, willfully underperforming rather, end quote. So it, there's two sides of this, right? So another, another way is another perspective here differentiates, uh, differentiates uh, quiet quitting from uh, what we saw in the uh, Wikipedia article, quote, work to rule, supposing that the primary objective of quiet quitting is not to actually disrupt the workplace, but rather uh, one could say it's avoiding things like occupational burnout. They're actually trying to stay in their in their work environment versus, versus quitting, uh, versus burning out. Instead, pay more attention to mental health and personal well-being, uh, less work during vacations, weekends, off hours, more time for yourself, your friends, your loved ones, and family, uh, like we talked about before. So, all this can kind of be under the umbrella of quiet quitting. So employees who, who put up more boundaries at work, uh, and say, you know, no to projects and say, saying yes, uh, might actually not be lazy. They might just actually be reprioritizing or choosing, um, uh, to refocus on other activities that drive the most value, whether that's in work or outside of work. So just kind of clarifying there's, there's, there's some variations within this idea of, quiet quitting and what's fueling it. So it's not, it's not purely just the reasons why that we said, obviously we think those are, that's true, but, uh, there are some other alternative views there, which I think, um, make a lot of sense. Yeah. And of note here yeah. in countries where they've moved to a four day work week, they yeah. have conclusively found that there's no, um, negative impact on productivity. In fact, in, in, in many cases, people are more productive once yeah. they've, once they've achieved a more comfortable work-life balance and have a bit more time for themselves and are only working four days instead of five. Yeah. Uh, hyperlinking to that too. The Furious Curious did cover that one week, uh, the four-day work week. So we, we broke that down. Uh, I forget what number it is, but uh, you can go back and look in the feed. So, you know, it's funny. This is, I feel like this is almost like a, the completion of a series that we've done. We've done, we've done remote work. We've done 
great resignation. We've done, we're doing quiet quitting. We've done burnout and we've done four day work week. So it's, it's been interesting to see how all this fits together. Yeah. There's one leg missing from there. There's a, there's a mm. great book and, and maybe this is for a future episode, but there's a great book that was written by uh, an anthropologist named David Graber. I believe his name is, uh, the book is called bull jobs. And it's a, have you read this or heard of this? No, it's basically he postulates that um, there's a huge number of jobs, mostly in like middle management type things that aren't really necessary. They just exist to kind of keep uh, to keep the society churning and to, so people have jobs to go to. It's, it's really pretty hmm. interesting, but that, that uh, could be connected to the things that you just mentioned. It would be a really interesting topic. Interesting. So I, the way I interpret that is like not like middle, a lot of middle, middle management jobs aren't necessarily driving efficiency. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. So actionables, these are like some action steps that I, that I pulled from, you know, pulled, you know, this is pulled advice. Actually, this is actually also, also from Gallup and Qualtrics as well. Qualtrics, by the way, is a, uh, an American experience management company. So they, they quantify and qualify a bunch of information. So this is kind of from their perspective, this isn't us or some fake or self-appointed guru telling you how to manage your life or your, your employees or your work day. But first off, it's clear, like some quiet quitting is a symptom of poor management. I think that goes without saying first is like, I think talking about this middle management thing, step one is, you know, addressing manager engagement. So according to Gallup, only uh, one in three managers are engaged at work. Uh, senior leadership needs to reskill these managers to win in a new hybrid work environment. I find that really interesting. So what does that look like? So managers must learn how to uh, have conversations to help employees reduce disengagement and burnout. There's ways to do that. Only managers are in the position to actually do this, to know the employees as individuals, their life situation, their strengths, their goals, their gifts. So Gallup's suggestion, Gallup finds the best requirement and habit to develop for successful managers is having one meaningful conversation per week, one meaningful conversation per week, 15 minutes, 30 minutes uh, with each team sounds member. Sounds so simple. It sounds so simple, but uh, it takes priority. You know, you have to prioritize people and that is not efficiency. I think it was my, somebody told me once, you can be efficient with your time, but you can't be efficient with people. And I really believe that. So but managers do need to take accountability for individual performance, team collaboration, and customer value, and employees must see how their work contributes to the organization's larger purpose. It is very hard to work your butt off just for it, all that effort to go into a black hole of nothing, and then you're never, you never know what happened or what the impact was. That's for a losing sure. proposition. So next, listen, understand, and act. That kind of dovetails from the first one. I've been part of employee listening programs, organization-wide listening programs, you know, things like surveys, they're critical for identifying and closing these employee experience gaps. Um, these efforts also allow organizations to understand and measure the roots of quiet quitting and the likelihood uh, above and beyond just the, the service behaviors. And as my dad always said, you can't manage 
what you can't measure. And I believe that too. So, you know, there needs to be a motivation. Employees need to, there needs to be kind of a carrot and a stick. You can't just expect employees to go above and beyond when there's no actual reason to do that. So, yeah. And it goes back to that 15 to 30 minute conversation, that pulse, getting a pulse of what the expectations are, what people are thinking about. So, yeah. Hmm. Well said. Promote healthy work-life habits is the third one. And you have to mean it. More than half of, which is 58% of workers say the work is a primary source of mental health challenges and nearly half work while on vacation. I think social media is part of this issue, uh, but employees can educate around that, not necessarily control it. And yeah, it takes a little empathy. Acknowledging people may find it difficult to separate work and family life, uh, even if, especially if you're working from home. Uh, it's critical that leaders and senior managers openly communicate about this balance to encourage employees to create boundaries and take time off seriously. So that's setting out of office res- responses, ensuring employees aren't being disturbed while on vacation and meaning it. You know, I've had situations been, I won't name places or people, but you know, you talk a big game. Oh, we're all about healthy work like ha- healthy work life habits. But when it gets down to the brass tacks is when that's actually not true. So that's why you got to mean it. You got to mean it and you got to mean it in the ways that really, really count. You know, there, there's some fake ways to do this and there's some real ways to do this. And I think you got you to listen to employees and figure out what do they actually want. They don't want pizza. They don't they, they necessarily say, want a half day. It's not pizza. You know, it's got to be real. It's got to be real. And sometimes that may cost you something. So anyway, I'm speaking, I'm punching above my, my weight here managerially, but that's okay. This is all from Gallup and other places. Being flexible with the word flexibility. I won't go into all that, but really understanding what that means. And, you know, that's really a more fluid term. Employees see that more broadly. It's not just like where work gets done, so to speak, but it's not just about hybrid work or remote work. It's having more flexibility and in time also. So, and, and, and like I was saying, you know, listening, what does flexibility mean to that employee versus you defining it for yourself uh, as an employer? I'll do the last one here. Setting real expectations and responsibilities goes back to the thing we were saying before, clarity, just being clear about what's expected of you, expected about those roles. So many people, especially uh, Gen Z and uh, younger millennials are like, I don't know what my role is. I don't know what I'm responsible for or not responsible for. I think it's, you know, to be clear about that is super important. I think that prevents people from burning out. And then lastly, just recognizing people for their achievements. It's such an easy thing. It goes such a long way. So many people don't do it or they fake it. And it's really important. People simply want to be recognized, appreciated, and, you know, they just want, they want to prosper in their workplace. Parting thoughts, Ben. Uh, Yeah. Well, there's one thing that I was kind of thinking about as we were were having having this discussion, because we talked a lot about employers, corporate entities, uh, companies, I I guess, big and small. And there's a lot of companies out there that are getting this stuff right. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of companies out there that have acknowledged the paradigm shift that the pandemic brought on, have been um, incredibly accommodating of their employees. Um, I mean, there really are some great people first organizations. And, but like, Companies are big, complex organizations, and it's very difficult to create these type of ideal cultures, you know, in yeah. a in in environments that are often run by committee. So, right. 
you know, I, I just, because like we, I would hate for anyone listening to this to get the idea that we're like, that you and I are somehow anti-work. It's not no. that at all. We're just, we're just no. covering the information, but yeah, but it's worth noting that there are a lot of companies out there. I think that are, that are listening and that really are making a concerted effort to, to, uh, to be, uh, a more fair, uh, and more, more accommodating to their employees. Yeah. And I think this is a, you know, speaking maybe more specifically to us, this is an existential question for advertising agencies, which has long been, you know, they're, they're traditionally held as sweatshops and really it's just open season on, on employees. And I, you know, I have found actually there are ad agencies that are actually doing this right as well. And that's even harder, I think in, in our current culture of, of our, our particular work culture of advertising. So, yeah. 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 The agency culture has always been a kind of a work hard, play hard <laughs> type of thing in my experience anyway. Yeah, no, totally. And I did, I did both too hard sometimes. I guess my parting thought would be so I know some employees are embracing this idea of quiet quitting now, but there are risks with it to be completely disengaged from the workplace. Those who quietly quit long-term, I guess, like it's likely they may gradually find work less fulfilling. I would, I've thought about that. Coworkers and customers, the overall workflow, overall work satisfaction decreases as you become also less engaged possibly. And also it's about karma too. Like if you're, you know, the world may be smaller than you think. So, you know, your reputation is important and that goes both. You don't want to be a yes person, but at the same time, you don't want to have a reputation of, of necessarily just always kind of being below par. That's something to pay attention to. So, you know, like I said, quiet quitting can be legitimate. There's legitimate reasons for it, but can also be a symptom of a mentality that might need to shift within yourself. I speak from my own personal experience, you know, this idea that like only things can happen to me, not necessarily asking yourself what you can affect. So I've been there. Doesn't mean, you know, somebody doesn't have a legit reason to leave or to, to disengage, but, um, to, you know, I've, I have found the easier route, actually, the more satisfying route is to try to take action in the workplace and just to see, you know, pressure test, pressure test the culture, pressure test the leadership, see if they can respond to that feedback, trying to choose curiosity and pro proactivity versus just kind of passivity. It's hard, but they call it work for a reason, I guess, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There you um, go. So anyway, uh, and actually the other piece to complete this would be the self-care. So, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, I, I'm focusing on self-care and I think that's, that's super important. Amy Ridley and I, and, um, Chaz way back when Amy Ridley has a blog called unscripted studio. This is episode 30. Uh, we talked about self-care. We talked about the importance of self-care and to know that difference between, you know, self-care being about a way to set yourself up for success. And then also it can be, you know, if you're not careful, a ruse for inaction or, or laziness. So, and it was important to know the difference. So I learned a lot about that um, in that episode. Again, that was episode 30. So anyway, that's my long form thought. That's a great point. That's a great point. And, and one final note yeah. is since we're talking about it, I, again, I think I said this on the front, but there's, uh, there's always been people that, dis, that subscribe to this, that have subscribed to this, uh, this idea, this, this, this manner of working. It's just that we, now we have a name for it. Right. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things shake out. We're definitely in a, you know, a 30 year or longer cycle or a shift in how we view work. You know, there's a fundamental shift happening. Obviously, you know, we've been trying to, on the podcast here, approach it from an aspect of curiosity. And I think maybe in retrospect here, it seems like we're being a little bit hard on maybe both employees and employers. Our intent is to just unpack to understand what's actually going on in objective terms, like you said uh, before. So uh, hopefully that's helpful. Maybe it will continue to, maybe it'll continue to drive people away from the, the standard model of, of, you know, working for a big company and getting your paycheck every week. And People will continue to, because I, I, I think this is something that's happening anyways, but it would be interesting to see, like you said, on a 30-year cycle, what would it look like if more people kind of w- branched out on their own, went their own way and made a living either, either creating something or making something or working for themselves in some way? Um, you know, maybe, the, maybe, the, maybe we're just seeing the beginning of, of a much bigger shift. Yeah. And I would think is, you know, as you get more automated aspects of certain things, it becomes much more plausible as a, as a smaller group of smaller company or even a sole proprietor to do things that, you know, 30 years ago, it would have taken, you know, an army of people to do, whether that's bookkeeping or correspondence or uh, whatever that may be, you know, as more things become automated, it may be more possible to kind of do things on your own. Absolutely. On that note, you are listening to the Furious Curious podcast hosted and produced by me, Britton Rice. My guy here, Ben Santoriello, along with Jody Duncan, Nicole Lazar, and Chase Domerg. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at the underscore furious underscore curious and subscribe to the Furious Curious podcast on your favorite platform. Uh, We welcome your comments, your trollings, of course, your constructive feedback. Until next time, stay curious. Bye.